It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Wednesday, November 9th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. The day after the 2022 midterms has many holding their breath as ballots continue to be counted. Coming up, the California Report examines statewide election results. We'll look at your local news and weather, and hear about warming centers opening tonight and Thursday at the Madeline Helling Library in Nevada City. Paul Emery's here with resident econ expert Gary Zimmerman. The Fed aims for full employment and a low and stable inflation rate, but are the two goals at odds? We close with a commentary on communication choice aggregation, or CCAs, from Don Ravines. This is the California Report. I'm Madi Bolaños in San Francisco. And I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Madi and I are together to bring you the latest California election results now that the voting is finally over. As is normal in today's world of mail-in ballots, we have to wait for the final results in a lot of races. But here's what we do know. At the top of the ticket, Californians handily re-elected Governor Gavin Newsom over Republican Brian Daly. In a victory speech he gave in downtown Sacramento last night, Newsom drew a contrast between California and the rest of the country. We have governors that won their re-elections tonight in other states that are banning books, that are banning speech, that are banning abortion. And here we are in California moving in a completely different direction. That was Governor Gavin Newsom. Let's turn now to the results for the statewide ballot measures. Proposition 1, which will enshrine a right to an abortion in the state constitution, easily passed with 65% of the reported vote so far. State Senator President Pro Tem Tony Atkins spoke at the Victory Party for Prop 1. Today, we sent a loud, clear message to those who think they can control our bodies and eliminate our rights. And it's a message that will reverberate throughout this nation. In California, we will not go backwards. The proposition was put on the ballot after the U.S. Supreme Court ruled in a case that overturned Roe v. Wade. That's led to many states making abortion illegal. California voters appear to have rejected both sports gambling measures despite a campaign that saw more than half a billion dollars in ad spending. Both votes would have legalized sports gambling in the state. Prop 26 would have allowed the betting at tribal casinos. Prop 27 would have allowed betting on smartphones using sites like DraftKings. If the current vote totals hold up, sports betting won't be legal in California, at least for now. Agua Caliente tribal chairman Reed Milanovic said that defeating Proposition 27 was actually more critical to California's tribes than passing Prop 26. Once those 27 ads started running, it caused a lot of voter confusion. And as we all know, when there's voter confusion, the default is to vote no. I know myself and, and there's plenty of other tribes would really like to thank the voters of California for rejecting 27. I, I think that's more important than, than anything. And as is often the case with well-funded ballot measures, voters may get a chance to weigh in on sports gambling again. The CEO of DraftKings recently indicated the company will try to put a similar measure on the ballot in 2024. 
and Prop 28 easily passed with about 61% of the vote so far. It will provide funding for arts and music education at K through 12 schools in the state. The amount that will be required to be spent will equal 1% of the constitutionally required state and local spending on schools. About 6 million California students are expected to benefit from the measure's passage. Currently, only about one in five schools in the state have a full-time arts or music teacher. Prop 28 had no organized opposition. And for the third time in four years, California voters have rejected an effort by SEIU-UHW, one of the state's largest health unions, to change how patients receive care at kidney dialysis clinics by requiring having a physician or nurse practitioner on staff. The corporations who run the clinics spent tens of millions of dollars fighting Prop 29. The companies argued that the union put the measure on the ballot for leverage in a fight over workers' unionization, which they've also resisted. Dwayne Cox is a dialysis patient from Van Nuys and advocated against the measure. If the staff members at the dialysis centers want to become union members, that's just fine with me. But don't put dialysis patients in the middle of this battle to try to win them over. We're just end up being used as pawns. Dialysis companies say the proposition's passage would have forced them to close some clinics. Proposition 30, the clean air initiative that would tax the state's wealthiest Californians to pay for electric car rebates, appears to have failed. Governor Gavin Newsom called the measure unnecessary and a corporate giveaway to the ride-hailing company Lyft and urged voters to reject it. His loud opposition sunk broad support for Prop 30 that only a few months ago was more than 10 points up from a majority. So little was actually discussed about the actual policy and so much was talked about the money. I think the early indicators and the polling showed that Californians really wanted some bold climate action and that's what Prop 30 represented. Unfortunately, we had a governor who rallied against his own programs that would be funded for whatever reason, still unclear. That's Stephen Maviglio, spokesperson for the Yes on 30 campaign. Newsom's opposition had him at odds with the California Democratic Party and many of his political and union allies. They argued the money was a vital investment in fighting climate change. Another health-related proposition on the ballot was Prop 31. It passed, which means a law enacted by the state legislature can go into effect that prohibits the retail sale of flavored tobacco products. Backers like Jim Knox, director of the American Cancer Society, say products like these are a way to get teens and young adults hooked on smoking. Getting these candy-flavored Tobacco products off the shelves is going to save thousands of lives and billions of dollars in health care costs. Prop 31 was opposed by the tobacco industry, which argued it's already illegal to sell tobacco products to minors and prohibitions don't work. And finally, when it comes to voter turnout, the Secretary of State's office is reporting about 25 percent of all registered voters in the state actually voted. Congrats to Alpine County, which looks like it had the highest percentage of voter turnout at 63%. On the other end of the spectrum, Imperial County had the lowest percentage of voter turnout at just 13%. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Paint Care. 
Now with 834 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute. Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel FALCOR-2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org. And that's this election edition of the California Report for Wednesday, November 9th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. And I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening. Let's take a look at today's local news. According to polling data from the Nevada County Registrar of Voters, Hillary Hodge and Haven Caravelli appear to have clinched the two open Grass Valley City Council member seats. Lisa Swarthout has nearly 62% of the vote for District 3 County Supervisor. Close to 51% voted no on Measure V, the Wildfire Prevention, Emergency Services, and Disaster Readiness Measure, which would generate a 10-year general half-percent sales tax to fund emergency and other government services. 64% have voted no on Measure W, the Nevada City Historic Neighborhoods District Initiative. Measure X, the Penn Valley Fire Protection District measure, which would increase the appropriation limit for funds used in emergency medical services, seems to have received a resounding yes, with nearly 84% voting to pass the measure. And in a much-watched school board election for three open positions in the Nevada Joint Union High School District, Olivia Pritchett has 59% of the vote for Area 1, Wendy Willoughby has 51% of the vote for Area 2, and Ken Johnson has nearly 57% of the vote for Area 5. According to Ubinet, we'll know an estimate of the number of ballots still remaining to be counted on Thursday. The National Weather Service predicts significantly cold and wet weather this evening and Thursday night, and they've issued a frost advisory in effect from 2 a.m. to 9 a.m. Thursday, November 10th, and they've issued a frost advisory in effect from 2 a.m. to 9 a.m. Thursday, November 10th, for the Foothills and Sacramento area. Nevada County will be opening warming centers tonight and Thursday due to these low temperatures. KVMR's Felton Pruitt gets the details. We're talking with Alice Johnson from Sierra Roots. She's involved in getting a warming center opened up in Nevada City for Wednesday and Thursday nights. Thanks for joining us, Alice. Thank you for having me. So tell us all about where people can go to get warm. Okay, so the warming shelter this time will be at the Madeline Helling Library in the Community Room, which is the door right next to the entrance. And it will be opening for people to come in, get warm, have a hot drink, be served dinner. We have cots and sleeping bags and blankets and a, a good warm space. So we're hoping that it will be utilized. And then how long is it open for? It's open for two nights, Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, we ask that people leave uh, by 7.30 in the morning. We do have some help from Hospitality House vans for transportation, both to the shelter the, the afternoon, early evening before, as well as in the morning to be able to get people to where they need to go. I'm trying to remember now. I think it's when the temperature goes around 37 degrees that you start opening these sensors. Uh, that's close. So if it's raining or snowing or there's snow on the ground, it's 32 degrees or below for a period of five or more hours overnight. And if it's dry, no snow on the ground, not no precipitation, it's 30 degrees or below. So it's it's very severe weather. Is there a phone number or a website people can get more information from? 
they can call 211 simply by dialing 211 from any phone within the county. That's one of the best ways that because that is a service that's available 24 hours a day and they will have the details on it. Uh, they can also look at sierraroots.org website. Okay, so that's the Madeline Helling Library in Nevada City on Wednesday and Thursday evenings starting at 4.30 and running till 7.30 in the morning. Have I got that right? Correct. All right. We've been talking with Alice Johnson from Sierra Roots. Thanks for uh, what you guys do. Oh, thanks so much for getting the word out, Felton. I appreciate it very much. Turning our attention to your forecast from the National Weather Service, for those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, patchy fog with a low around 27. Thursday, patchy fog before 9 a.m., otherwise sunny with a high near 50. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, widespread freezing fog after 10 p.m., partly cloudy with a low around 8. Thursday, widespread freezing fog before 10 a.m., sunny with a high near 36. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, patchy fog between 11 p.m. and midnight, otherwise mostly clear with a low around 39. Thursday, sunny with a high near 58. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Congress has given the Federal Reserve two goals for our economy, full employment and a low and stable inflation rate. Paul Emery and Gary Zimmerman discuss the Fed's challenge, balancing policies that help one while hindering the other. This and more in the latest installment of the Economic Report. This Economic Report is sponsored by Rick Kelb, Wealth Management Advisor with Northwestern Mutual since 1983 on Spring Street, Nevada City at rickkelb.com. Economy is still in the news, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. Let's start with the Federal Reserve and its goals for our economy. Well, Paul, that's an easy question to answer, but it is one that is much harder for the Federal Reserve to achieve. Uh, Congress has given the Federal Reserve two goals for the economy, full employment, um, that most Fed policymakers consider to be an unemployment rate of around 4%. And uh, the second goal would be the low and stable inflation rate. And Fed policymakers have set a goal of a 2% annual inflation rate for the economy. And thus, the you know, Fed is tasked with achieving both of these goals, even though sometimes a policy designed to achieve one goal could, can make the other one worse. Okay, Gary. So how difficult is it for the Fed to to uh, hit both of its goals at the same time. Can you give us some examples? It's a challenge for the Fed having two goals, and sometimes there are you know, obviously trade-offs between those two goals. Uh, many other central banks only have a single goal. For example, the European Central Bank, they only have a 2% inflation goal, so they don't have to you know, go back and forth between you know, full employment or stable inflation um, since they only have one goal. Um, with the Fed and monetary policy, again, which is mostly interest rate policy, um, the Fed plays then a really important role in efforts to lower the inflation rate, and it's playing an important role and is an important factor in achieving full employment. In 2022, for example, with you know labor markets that are very tight and the economy growing again and you're continuing to add jobs at a strong pace and the unemployment rate is, is very low at 3.7%, that's good news. But um, 
it's also a factor, particularly the tight labor markets and driving up wages and prices, um, as well as all of the other shocks that have, have hit the economy. So the good news is that the economy, you know, has a low unemployment rate. The bad news is that that's, you know, contributing to inflationary pressures. Okay, Gary. So uh, today the Fed's actions are designed to lower inflation towards its goal, but might that also impact the economy and employment in possibly negative ways? Yes, Paul, we haven't seen much of that yet. The economy has remained quite strong by most measures. Uh, but obviously, there is a trade-off for Fed policymakers, and it's one that economists are concerned about today, too. Um, that is, if you know, the Fed were to raise interest rates either too rapidly or, or too high, or worse yet, um, raise interest rates both too fast and too high uh, with their policies designed to slow the economy and to slow, lower inflation, the, the Fed runs the real risk of you know, creating a recession where you know, the unemployment rate climbs, the economy shrinks, uh, many people are worse off, especially if they lose their jobs. So, yes, fighting inflation with rising interest rates will slow the economy. The question is, you know, how much? And I can tell you that economists, forecasters, and I can assure you that the Fed policymakers, and that's the seven Federal Reserve governors in Washington, D.C., and the 12 Federal Reserve Bank presidents from around the country are, are debating what happens next to inflation and employment. Well, Gary, at, the, at their early November meeting, just a few days ago, the Fed raised interest rates again. That's the fourth time in a row by by um, three quarters of, of, of a percentage. That seems like a lot of interest rate increases in a short period of time. That, that, that's the way it seems to me. Um, can it be too much? Well, <laughs> that is the million-dollar question, Paul. You know, you've been watching the news and perhaps uh, Fed Chair Jay Powell's press conference after the meeting, you know, where he commented on this latest interest rate increase and, um, you know, I think left the door open for additional interest rate increases depending on the performance of the economy and the strength of the labor markets, as, you know, as well as, you know, the behavior of inflation and expected future inflation. But... Uh, again, four three quarters of a percent uh, increases have moved the Fed's short term or overnight target interest rates up to a little over four percent. Um, you know, before COVID hit, that interest rate you know was was zero, essentially. Uh, so four percent is well above the Fed's two and a half percent target interest rate that they generally would consider to be neutral with the ex respect to the economy. So a a four percent target interest rate should slow down the economy and likely will drive up the unemployment rate somewhat, um, as well as having the desired effect of lowering the inflation rate. But again, time will tell how close the Fed will get to both of its goals, inflation and full employment. Um, it's a challenge. Okay. Thank Take you, care. Gary. Appreciate it. Gary Zimmerman is a retired senior economist for the San Francisco Reserve in San Francisco and currently is a visiting professor at the Vienna University of Economics and Business in Austria, where he teaches courses in economics and finance. We close with a commentary on Communication Choice Aggregation, or CCAs, by Don Ravines. This is an update on Grass Valley in Nevada City joining a Communication Choice Aggregation, or CCA, 
offered by Pioneer Community Energy of Placer County. Grass Valley is awaiting approval by Pioneer of their request to join, and Nevada City has approved the first reading of the ordinance and resolution to join. It is hoped that Nevada County will also join the CCA so everyone in western Nevada County will have the same opportunity to save money on their electric bills and have the option for the electricity to be 100% renewable. Why are local governments looking at CCAs? CCAs provide communities with more local control over their energy supply. As a result, communities can choose to increase the amount of electricity procured from renewable sources, such as wind, solar, and geothermal. CCAs can also develop innovative energy programs tailored specifically for each community and support the development of local renewable energy projects. What is a CCA? CCAs are public, nonprofit agencies that enable city and county governments to pool or aggregate the electricity demand of their communities together for the purpose of supplying electricity. A CCA buys electricity on behalf of residential, commercial, and municipal electricity users in its jurisdiction. The electricity continues to be distributed and delivered over the existing PG&E electricity lines. It is important to note that CCAs, once they are operational, are completely ratepayer funded and not subsidized by taxpayer dollars. How does it work? Once approved, all citizens and businesses are automatically enrolled in the CCA. All are given an opportunity to remain with PG&E or can opt out later. Bills will still be prepared by PG&E with an additional section showing the amount paid to the CCA for the power. Rooftop solar owners are part of the program and are paid a small bonus beyond what PG&E would have paid for the excess energy exported to the CCA. How does this relate to Nevada County Energy Action Plans? Nevada County, Nevada City, and Grass Valley all have energy action plans. These plans are meant to assist citizens in reducing their electricity use through rooftop solar and energy efficiency. But many citizens cannot afford home retrofitting or cannot use solar panels because of their physical location or because they are renters. CCAs are an alternative where all in the community can participate. But what are the economic advantages of CCAs? CCAs can accelerate the development of local renewable energy projects, which can result in significant local job creation. In general, renewable energy facilities provide many more jobs per unit of investment than traditional natural gas and coal plants. What are the environmental advantages of CCAs? CCAs can choose to purchase from and develop electricity sources that are more heavily weighted toward renewable energy. Renewable energy can provide electricity with little or no greenhouse gas emissions. If the power goes out, will PG&E still fix a CCA customer's outage problem? Yes, PG&E will provide the same delivery and customer services regardless of whether that home or business is a CCA customer. If I join a CCA, would my electricity rates go up? No, a technical study will examine the impacts of a CCA on rates, but so far, CCAs have been about 5% lower than PG&E prices. This is dependent on the customer class 
and the CCA option each customer chooses. Pioneer has an option called Green 100 that costs a little more, but all of the electricity bill is used to produce renewable energy. More information on this wonderful opportunity will become available to citizens in the coming year. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only, and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, November 9th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Volsbro's Automotive, serving the community since 1982. Located at 962 Golden Gate Terrace in Grass Valley. Same workmanship, customer service, and community involvement. Online at volsbros.com and Nevada County Citizens for Choice. Promoting reproductive justice and equitable reproductive health care access. Advocacy, education with compassionate services for women, men, and teens. Learn more at citizensforchoice.org. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Thursday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.